Among the many events that occurred in my life this past week was a misunderstanding that I had with Vicki. It started this way. We had agreed to uh, do something at a particular hour, and as that hour approached for the appointment that we'd made, the things that I was focused on, that I was trying to get finished, were getting a little bit more delayed. They were taking more time than I'd anticipated. And if you know Vicki, you know that she likes to do things when we say that we're going to do them. And if you know me, you know that sometimes that can be a little optional. And as I thought of the things that I wasn't getting done as that deadline approached, I just got a little bit more tense about the whole thing. Because I was in a dilemma. What was I going to do? Was I going to just presume on Vicki's grace and say, you know what, I just got to take some more time. Sorry, I can't make it when I said we, I would. Or would I cause myself to feel uncomfortable and leave some things undone while I went to the next appointment that we'd agreed to? Well, I didn't do either very well. I didn't get it all done, but I didn't show up on time. But rather than just go and apologize, I actually decided that I would make this as somewhat of, I, I, you know, I don't know where this came from. Later on, it was clear it wasn't from the Spirit. But at the time, I thought, you know what, I, I should probably just have an honest conversation about what's going on for me. And so I said, you know, well, here's what's going on for me, and, and there's no apology in this. I'm just trying to explain away my inconsideration. As I'm explaining that to Vicki, she's hearing it, but I think she's looking for some kind of acknowledgement, uh, apology, I don't know, but I don't think she's hearing me. And so the tone of my voice gets a little bit more insistent. The uh, impatience starts to show, the irritation starts to be more expressed. And I, I, I double down by explaining it very thoroughly. What I should have done was just apologize. Later on, the spirit did return and I did realize that's what I should have done all, all along. And I, I think back on that, I, like, I don't know where I really was. It certainly wasn't honoring her, it wasn't a blessing. I didn't need to justify myself. But as I reflected upon that, I realized that I'm just, in, at that time, I'm just in the space of me. I'm in the space of thinking about what I want. I know what, what we agreed to, but what I wanted became more important than what we'd agreed to. And you think about that and you think, okay, um, some work in process. There's some things that, that need to be worked on in terms of that, in terms of the way I deal with things and the way I handle headlines and things of that sort, and you might be right. You would be right. But that's just my example. I suspect that each of us has an example here from this past week of something that we realized upon reflection was just more us than God, more about me than the other person, more about wanting them or the situation or the people I'm interacting with to conform to what I thought I needed. Um, and, and I... And, and maybe you used your words and your thinking and, and your emails to get them to do what you wanted uh, apart from any consideration of what they wanted or what you'd agreed to. If that's you, uh, welcome to my club. Uh, but if that's you, and as I'm certainly encouraged by what Paul is writing, what Benny read in his letter to the Colossians, 
Because Paul is writing to saints, he's writing to us who he calls actually image bearers. He calls us icons. That's, that's the Greek word for being an image bearer, an image bearer of God. He's writing to us as image bearers. And he is saying, he's giving us uh, instructions, things, things that don't reflect being a good image bearer. Like how not to be an image bearer. This is how the passage starts. And then the second thing he talks about is, okay, this is what image bearers of God don't do. Here's what they do do. And if you're like me, I, I like those lists. Uh, Paul is a master of lists. He writes lists. There's a couple of them that he presents. Um, actually, he's got sort of three lists in this brief passage. But it helps us understand. But if you're checking off lists and you're thinking, okay, well, don't do those things, but do do these things, then we can actually miss the, the key or the, the secret, if you will, of, of how we're actually able to do this. It's one thing to know what an image bearer is called to do or how we reflect Christ. It's quite another thing to be able to do it. And how, it, how is it that Jesus actually is alongside of us and is in us and helps us to be faithful image bearers of God? So first of all, as Benny started reading Colossians uh, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what, brings, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. There's two lips. First of all, Paul is talking about the things that, that characterize the life of, of the saint before they were a saint. He just names a few of them. These aren't exhaustive. They are representative. And he says, before you knew the Lord, you were in your earthly nature. You were driven by appetites and driven by, by what you thought was fun in life or a pursuit in life. And he lists a couple of the big ones, sexual immorality. This is a culture that was steeped in sexual immorality. And then greed, he lists that. This is one that was steeped in, in always acquiring, always looking out. How can I get more? This was a known aspect of the Greco-Roman world at the time. Not unlike our culture today. We too have areas of sexual immorality that are very prominent in our culture. And we can, I would say, you could say that greed is taken to an art form here in our own culture in many ways. And Paul says that these things are from your earthly nature they are accompanied by evil desires. They are the things that bring separation from God, which is a good way to understand the term wrath when, we, when the Lord comes again. These are the things that we once lived, but we, we should do those no longer. They don't, you know, this doesn't, shouldn't characterize us. Paul wants the saints to be uh, apart from the world. In order to be an image bearer of God, we need to reflect who God is. We need to reflect what his purpose is for sexual ethic, sexual expression. He says if you're a man and a woman and you're married, you're in the covenant of marriage, you can have that expression of sexuality that, that is in scripture, that, that was intended. But if you're not, that's not your opportunity. But whether you're married or you're single, both of you, in your own way, have the opportunity to reflect Christ, to bear his image. 
The married couple gets to reflect the covenant of the Lord and the love and the joy that comes through that. And sexual expression is a way, a, a, an amazing gift to be able to do that. The single person gets to reflect the devotion to Jesus Christ as Christ himself reflected his own devotion to his heavenly father. As Paul himself said, it's better not to marry, just be out of a sense of being able to serve the body. And when, when the new Jerusalem comes and we will be with Jesus, there is no more marriage. They're not given, people aren't given in marriage. It is the church that is now the bride, his pure bride. And so marriage is a foretaste of what's going to happen. And singleness is, is sort of a, a forerunner of, of what we will be in, in heaven. We don't know. We have just very small, little information. But, but what we do in this time, in this earth, meant to point people to the direction of the eternal reality that awaits us. So whether we're married or single, the point is that we use, we, don't, we are not sexually immoral, we are not misusing the purpose for which that gift has been created. Nor are we misusing the provision that God gives us. He gives us what we need. He gives it to us. Sometimes we don't think we have it when we need it, but he does give it to us. Over and over again, he's faithful. But we can get that distorted, or what Paul is concerned about is the worldly distortion that says, I need to just keep getting more. I need to just, it's not enough what I have now. I might need more later on, or I just like more later on. That's greed. As we saw from the parable of the rich fool that was read, the gospel reading, it's, you know, acquiring more is one thing, but there's also an aspect of greed that has to deal with just hoarding. He has a bumper crop, more than he knows what to do with. It's so big he needs to do a capital improvement and needs to build more barns that he can house his grain, house his wealth. The, the denouement on the, on the gospel is that his life will be required of him and he is not rich towards the things of God. God gives us wealth to be used for the blessing of others, to be used for his kingdom purposes. The, the, the accountability that we'll have is what did you do with the wealth that I, that I gave you? How did you use it to bless other people, to advance the kingdom, to be image bearers to those that needed to see me? that needed to see that God is a generous God, that he's a compassionate God, that he's one that provides just as I provided for you. Take a little bit of what that I've given you and give that to other people. So Paul is talking about don't let the earthly nature that was pre-Christ continue to, to show up. Put it to death. Be the executioner of that. It's kind of stark language, but it is very direct because it's, it's significant if we're going to live out that calling as image bearers. The second, though, that he talks about, about not, not uh, being ang angry or enraged or using malice, you know, it, get rid of these things, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. I mean, you could make a fair case that this pretty much describes our public discourse these days. Anger, rage, malice, slander. As, as followers of Christ, as image bearers, this isn't how we engage in the public square. We need to engage, but we need to engage thoughtfully. We need to engage deliberately. We need to engage with humility. We need to engage with grace. Because as we do these things, we're letting Jesus be out in front of us and to have his, his truth, his world, his grace, what people actually need in these conversations, 
to be on display. To use the things that, that Paul is warning against is to, again, be trapped in ourselves, is to say, I'm going to use the weapons of the world. I'm going to use the power that comes from being slanderous, from tearing somebody down, that, that uses anger and rage to, to intimidate or to bully or to cower. These aren't the weapons of the same. We can be angry at things but we, and at situations, things that make, break the heart of God, that make him angry. But how we, we also must deal with them as Jesus modeled for us. So how not to be an image bearer. We cannot bear an image, basically, if we insist on doing it kind of the world's way. If we insist on not living for the priorities of the Lord. We insist on using the weapons of this world and not the ones that the Lord has provided us. So what has he provided us? We know what, it's mean, what it means not to be an image bearer. What does it mean to be an image bearer? That's verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Here comes another list. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Simply put, to be an image bearer of God means to follow in the way of Christ. The whole theme of Colossians is that Jesus is the icon of God. He is the one, and this is what Paul is explaining. He says in, in chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. And by that it means, how do I know who God is? How do I know what his character is? How do I know what his actions are? How do I know what he's concerned about? How do I know what his power is? How do I know where he stands against these other gods? Which one do I pick? And the answer is, Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the faithful and perfect image bearer of God the Father. And Paul is saying that if we are going to be uh, God's image bearer because Jesus, his spirit is here among us and in us, but he physically is at the right hand of the Father, we are the ones today that somebody will see. If they're asking who God is and how is this God different from the other ones that are on offer, how does this God deal with the things that concern me in this world, we are the ones who bear his image in what we say, in how we act, in what we do, in what we think, how we use our resources. And so Paul says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, put on the, off the old man, put on the new man, if you will, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Now, some of these words, some of these qualities might sound familiar because they're fruit of the Spirit. Kindness and gentleness, patience. These are things that come from God. They're the fruit of the Spirit because God shows these to us. He is compassionate with what we're going through. He knows what we're going through. Sometimes we prefer to be done with that and just like, Lord, I'll just power it up myself. He's like, no, I'm alongside of you. I see you when you're by yourself. I see what hurts you deeply. I see what you don't want to say to anybody or even admit to yourself. 
I know these things. You know how I know them? Because I bore them all on the cross. This is what Jesus says. Psalm 139 asks, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the darkness, the dark is not dark to you, for you are light. You hem me in behind and before. This is the Lord who loves us. This is the image bearer. We can be image bearers that he calls us to be because he knows all the stuff that we are so afraid of or ashamed about. Like, Lord, if, if they knew that, I would not be in the image bearer club. Right? You're bearing my image. My, mine's the image of forgiveness. Mine's the image of acceptance. Not perfection, but faithfulness. That's the image that I want you to show. The image that, that, that to forgive people as I forgave you. To bear with one another. You know, I love that word because it just means it acknowledges, and he's writing to a church, Church of Colossae. Like, you're in a church, and it's full of people that aren't perfect, including you, sidebar comment, but, but the, you're with imperfect people. You're with people, some of whom will rub you the wrong way, some of whom don't understand where you're coming from, some of whom have completely different ideas about things that you find important. And you know what? You all belong to me, is what Jesus is saying. And that's why you bear with one another. Because just as you're bearing with somebody, they're bearing with you. Like, really? They have to bear with me? Yeah, they do. So bear with one another. Forgive one another. There's a, when, you, when a group of people come together, there's so much room for misunderstanding. Then you worked on a work team or something like that. You know, after the T-shirts are passed out and the beers are, you know, beer night happens, then you got to get down to figuring out how this is going to work as a team. And then all the little things start to come out. All the things that you thought you saw earlier, you know what, you were right. That stuff's coming out. And, and we have to bear one another. We have to forgive one, forgive one another. This, this comes out in the church, too. So Paul is saying this is what being an image bearer looks like. It means being Christ to, these, to one another. It means admitting that no one is perfect, and we require forbearance, and we require forgiveness, and we need to receive as well as Now, we've covered two, three lists now, two things that we don't want to be doing to be the wrong way to be image bearer, something, a list that Paul again provides that says what a Christ-like image bearer is. But how do we have the power, how do we have the motivation, let's call it motivation, how do we have the motivation to really do this? Some of you guys like checklists. I, I, I go in spurts, sometimes I like them, sometimes I don't. But I, when my motivation flags, what keeps me going? Verse 12 that we read, but it says, in order to clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, it's, it is preceded by this phrase, for as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, then clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness. One is dependent on the other. And I think just those three, those three things that Paul wants us to remember, that we are God's chosen people, that we were made holy, and that we are dearly loved. Remember, Jesus says in John, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. He says to Nathaniel, I saw you when you didn't even see me. I saw you way off. You're sitting under a tree. I chose you. Think of a time when you felt chosen, when somebody singled you out for some kind of benefit or blessing. 
Sometimes as a kid, you know, a grandparent comes alongside and they say, hey, let's go out and get ice cream. And the other grandkids don't, they're not in that car. That's so cool. It's just me and Gramps. Or some other, maybe you're, you, the college that you applied to, you got chosen. Or the job that you interviewed for, you got chosen. Being chosen is a really cool thing. We, uh, we should never lose our delight in that, to be chosen. And we have experiences of that. But it pales in comparison to Jesus Christ choosing us. From all time and all eternity, he said, I chose you. Now, in God's own mysterious way, we still get to respond to that. And by his grace, we've been able to respond, to be chosen, to say yes. But God chose us for time and for eternity, for life eternal. So that idea of being chosen by God is motivational, is inspirational. Why do I want to be an image bearer? Because that's what I've been chosen to be. But he goes on, he's also made us holy. To be chosen is, in fact, to be made holy, which is a way of saying to be acceptable to God. It says that the things that you are most ashamed of, the things that you're most in touch with, needing the greatest forgiveness for, the stuff that maybe was in that list of being greedy or sexually immoral or having evil desires or lust, the, the first list that Paul was talking about, if you're in Christ, those things have been washed away. As far as east is from west, not because we earned it in any way, but simply because of the work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can do. He is holy. He's our atonement sacrifice and his blood, all those things. That allows us to stand in the presence of God, to be in the holy of holies, as Hebrews says, and to feel his presence through the Spirit. It's mind-boggling. We're so used to it because we're in New Testament times. But it's great, Paul. Paul wants, he's talking to a congregation that's discovering this afresh, that you are holy. So when he sees us, he doesn't see the stuff that we've done. He doesn't see the things, you know, the times we try to stand our ground and get our point of view across. He sees Jesus Christ, his only, one and only son who died for us, to make us holy. And the final thing that Paul wants us to realize that we would be faithful image bearers, is that we are dearly loved. Christ's work reveals just how wide and, and, and long and high and deep is the love of God. But there's more to this idea. You, we were chosen for certain things in life, but there's also times, when was the first time you were aware that you were loved by someone? Like they just sort of singled you out, or you felt singled out, like, oh, thank you. Could have been a family member, could have been a neighbor, could have been a friend. But, wow, they just really like me. Maybe you didn't know why. Sometimes it's, it's almost in that romantic time. Maybe you're in junior high school and you're in high school and you're like, she really likes me, he really likes me. That feels good. You're thinking about your life, you know, interacting with them, talking to them. What are they thinking? Are they going to send something to me? Uh, are they going to text me? We're, we're like, I don't know that's dearly loved, and then, of course, it, you know, two weeks later, it doesn't work out, and then you realize, oh, they, I guess that's what they mean by infatuation. And you get more data. But being dearly loved is what Paul wants the Colossians to know that they are. How, and we have been able to express, to feel that, Lord willing, in some way, shape, or form. Hopefully a family member, sometimes a friend, 
a spouse, uh, a member of church. This is a huge blessing intended by God to, for the, to be places of love, care, and concern for one another. Sometimes people really don't feel loved until they come into a church. Sadly, the opposite is true, too. Sometimes people don't feel loved in the church. That's work for us to do. But the church is designed to be a vehicle, to be a place where people are experiencing the love of Christ, experiencing his, his mercy, holy and dearly loved. But there's something that's so deep. Uh, when we think of the love of Christ, it's easy to, kind of, to just kind of consider it a theological transaction. For God so loved the world that he sent his one only, only son. We know that. But, but that passion behind it from God's perspective is, I think, what Paul wants us to be in touch with. There's huge love and desire. There's, uh, there's parts of Scripture that speak unashamedly of God's love. The, the, the Jews before Christ and the church afterwards were trying to figure out, for example, what to do with the Song of Solomon. An allegory, uh, you know, at a minimum, it certainly is about intimate love between a man and a woman. But the Israelites saw it as, as uh, an allegory of God's love for Israel. And if you know that book, it is, filled. It, is, it is a poem between a lover and the beloved. It is intimate. It is perfect. It's powerful. And later on, the, some of the church, St. Ambrose would be one example, saw this as God's love for the church. Intimate, personal, powerful. That's the, that's the love that I pray that each of us would be in touch with. So that when, when God says, you are my image bearer, and we say, how do I do that? God says, I want you to remember that you were chosen, that you were holy, and that you are dearly, dearly loved. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinity.com. SV.org.